welcome back, Calm listeners. This is Methodical Millions, where you can better your future and better yourself. Cal, we have a very special guest today. Let's welcome Brian Esposito. Brian, why don't you say hi, introduce yourself, and tell us what gets you excited about life. Well, hi, gentlemen. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So as you mentioned, Brian J. Esposito, I'm the CEO and founder of Esposito Intellectual Enterprises. It's in over 20 years of development of a holding company wholly owned by me at the top level. Underneath that is presently over 75 different entities. I've accumulated over 150 joint ventures around the world, operating in over 25 different industries, as well as in over 25 different cities around the world. You know, it's been one hell of a journey. I've had every mistake you can think of. I've had a tremendous amount of learning experiences along the way. What I really get excited about today and what I find rewarding, basically for the first time in my life, I get to take everything that I've built, my resources, relationships, experiences, certain access to certain CEOs and enterprises around the world. And I get to work with startups, even up to Fortune 500 companies and helping them create a successful journey, being a support system for them, being a resource for them, and opening up new opportunities to show them not only how to survive, but how to survive in your own world, create your own positive earnings and positive cash flow, get yourself out of this raise money, run out of money, hamster wheel, and really teach people, find the need, fill need in the market, create a great product, create a small strong team and just do good work with good people. And that's what I love to do. And you know, right now, that's what really gets me excited. Wow. That is a heavy hitter intro. You have all the accolades. I'm very, very impressed. And you sound like a very humble guy as well. So were you always this awesome? I like to think I was always a good guy. I mean, life has beaten me up. I've been stolen from certain people in my inner circle, randomies. It's a common story with a lot of people, especially when people mistake kindness for weakness. I'm generous to a fault. I love to work with people. I love to build teams. Unfortunately, what I learned, I got into a very bad car accident in 2016. I was hit head on by a drunk driver. But I'm very grateful that that person hit me because I'm still here and she could have killed somebody and ruined a family. But also that moment allowed me to change my entire model because my world completely fell apart. I had the wrong people in places they had no right to be. I was dishing out equity for things that people didn't earn or have any value whatsoever for what I was exchanging my brain and my resources and my equity in certain companies to. So when I rebuilt, I made a conscious decision. I need to change the way I think, the way I work, the way I operate and maneuver. But I also can't lose myself because it's my good nature. It's my willingness to want to work with people. It's my openness that allows opportunities to come my way. You know, the caveat is when you're wired like that, opportunities, good and bad, come your way. So I had to be much more smarter as to push away the bad ones immediately. And I had to not go through life anger and bitter because what I went through very easily could have chosen a different path. And there's no way I could have rebuilt what I needed to rebuild if I was also dealing with internal issues such as anger, stress, anxiety, grief, and bitterness towards the world. Brian, this is absolutely wonderful. Thanks for joining us today. And I am incredibly excited having you here. You're really the example of what we've been always talking to our listeners and mentioning. And you are, I wouldn't say the end goal because you always want to achieve more and grow yourself, but you are really the idol of what we preach here. Nothing comes easy. It takes a lot of hard work. You really build something out of yourself, which makes us incredibly excited. Again, thanks again for joining us. But if you don't mind sharing with us a bit more about how you started your empire, if you like, your company, your relationships, how did you 
or when was the moment of realization that you realized that this is what you wanted to do? What was day one like? Well, thank you first for those kind words. And it's definitely not easy. I'd like to just touch on that point. During an entrepreneur's path, it's not going to be easy and you don't want it easy. You know, learn as much as you can early on, get your ass kicked left and right. Because you have a lot more to lose later on in life when you build your company. And if you're not operating in the right mindset with the right experiences and very well seasoned, then you have a lot more to lose. And anybody that does tell you that it's easy, they're either lying or they're delusional or they're generational wealth that just didn't earn it the hard way. But for me, day one was in the late 90s. I come from a family uh, very heavily involved in the beauty industry. And uh, my father disrupted that industry in the 70s and 80s when he built stores for the beauty industry where both professionals, so there were stylists, salon owners, spa owners, even certain store owners, and retail consumers could shop in one spot to pick up their beauty supplies. There was nothing like it at the time. We built what was the most profitable chain of beauty stores. So it was phenomenal. But he also disrupted the industry and made a lot of noise. And it was interesting and wild times. When the internet came along and my excitement and hunger to learn technology, I love marketing, taught myself how to code, not because I really wanted to, but when I went out to build a website that I wanted to build for the beauty industry at the time, you're talking millions of dollars and a very small amount of talented people that could actually accomplish what I wanted to accomplish. So sat there, taught myself how to code. I built the first B2B, B2C website for the beauty industry. During that 15-year tenure, I launched over 1,200 brands. I got to work with the Enormous amount of incredible celebrities, athletes, entertainers, musicians. Funny thing is, uh, we knocked it out of the park. I built a great mousetrap. I was Amazon's first beauty luxe retailer. I was Jet.com's first retailer. I got to work with the Rockstar Walmart e-commerce team and their beauty rollout of products and brands. But I often look back and say, my God, I did everything so wrong. At the time, I was happy to get the brand and sell the brand through our stores, through our distribution channels and online. But ultimately, these brands were using me and, and I wasn't smart enough to realize that they were using me to get entree into the channels that I built and the reach that I built. And I was just happy to get the brand. You know, My model now is if you're going to work with me, I need to have my layout out of equity. What does the scope look like? What does my involvement look like? I invite people into my world now because for way too long, people invited me into their world and I gave them everything that I could. And I was left waiting for them to do the right thing. You know, that shifted drastically, especially after that car accident. Now, I'll give you an example. If I worked with a brand of a celebrity, again, I was happy just to get the brand in our distribution. That brand then became a $10, $100 billion brand. It was sold off to a L'Oreal, a Revlon, a Procter & Gamble, an LVMH. Not only did I lose the brand because they have their own distribution channels, but I had no upside on the equity. And I was damn well a big piece of their growth. I, I was a damn well a big piece of their credibility and getting reach and awareness. I expedited their entire entree into the market. It's silly. Just thinking back, I just rinse and repeat, you know, no pun intended. I just, okay, I'll go find another brand. And I just kept doing this over and over and over again. So to answer your question very longly, I changed my model like 2010-ish where I said, okay, well, I can't do this anymore. I need to keep the pipeline of brands coming, but I need to start building and, and creating my own businesses. So I built technologies. If I said, well, why am I going to go out and license technology? If I can build it for my need and own it, that's what we're going to do. So I spent time and resources doing that. I said, well, why am I doing this brand development and distribution for this musician? Let me go and create a band. So I went into the music industry and built the band and we created songs and music. We became a Macy's iHeart top rising star uh, year one. So I was like, okay, this is starting to make sense. I feel there's something happening here. Mind you, it was a mess. I just kept creating companies, creating opportunities, creating new projects, IP, technology, solutions, and products. But I said, I'm going to own my own world. 
And that's the only way where I'm going to feel self-worth. I'm not going to be stressed or have anxiety or be mad at people for not doing what they say they're going to do. At the end of the day, it's going to be my creation, my world. And if something goes wrong in the process, I'm not going to be mad at somebody else. I'm not going to be angry towards somebody else. I'm going to be a little bit mad at myself. And I'm going to learn as to what did I do wrong that allowed that outcome to happen? And what do I got to do differently to make sure that doesn't happen again? So this was a whole trial and error process, wins, losses, lawsuits, all kinds of craziness you can think of. But over the last five years, I really believe I perfected this model. And I'm really enjoying and loving what I'm doing. And I get to work with great people. But more importantly, I get to speak with people like you and tell my story, get it out there. So another listener can hopefully reach out to me and I can continue to do great things with new companies and opportunities that I didn't know about before. That's amazing. Hands down. What a great story. And I love the creative aspect, which is there's never something you defer to someone else. You right away go, how do I do this? How do I make it my own? And people always who are not entrepreneurial will always get a bit of money, get a raise in a job, and then they'll go spend it. They'll go indulge. They'll go think that I've made it. I'm going to be middle class. I'm going to spend my money. I'm going to go buy excessively expensive things. And I love how you have the opposite approach, which is how does the world become my client? How do I build these micro businesses? And can you talk a bit about the technical aspect of that? How does it feel to manage so many or does it become cookie cutter as a process and essentially bundle them all into one? I don't want to say it's cookie cutter because that makes it sound like there's no effort behind it and you have the same outcome. There is a process that's consistent. And to me, it's peanut butter and jelly. It's taking two things and creating value. It's a very simple thing to do when you have reach and access and you have limited amounts or hopefully no amounts of greed and ego. People can do amazing things. It's when you start introducing the materialistic side of people where it starts to get a little hairy. When people want more things and they want to make more money to get more things, that's not someone that I work well with and I'm not judging anybody to each their own. If that's your motivator, great. But we're going to butt heads because my job is to create value for the company, for the stakeholders, to protect the employees and also the investors. And what you want to do with your money outside of that, that's great. Go and spend it, as you're saying, and get the things that you want. But we can't use that personal spending as a motivator to try to make more money because that's when things start to fall apart. That's when companies start to cut corners on their production. They start to find a way to make things cheaper. They start to fire people and cut things back. And ultimately, if you're a public company, that's done to show profitability and keep your stock price high. And if it's a private company, that's done because the senior management are bleeding the company dry and they're taking all the money. So I initially have food poisoning when I'm in a room with a potential new partner and they're talking about things or trips or their cars or their flesh and their watch. You know, I'm allergic to that. That's someone where say, keep making a lot of money, have a great life, but you and I are not going to work well together. Once I'm on the same page with somebody or co-founders with their values and mission, they believe in this thing, it's their blood, sweat, and tears, and they just need a break, that's where I love to shine. There's so much dormant IP out there and so much great assets out there that are just sitting on a shelf that they just don't know the right people. And that breaks my heart. That's what I loved about the music industry. When I got into that industry, I said, okay, there's Justin Bieber's, the Taylor Swift's, the Michael Jackson's of the world, like the phenomenal talents. There's also 100 million starving artists that are making just as good music, incredible musicians, great songwriters, great singers and performers, but they don't know anybody. 
And then I started to think of that's a startup world, that entire process of creating something, wanting to get it out into the world and wanting to make a livelihood off of it is the American dream and many other countries around the world. And I hate that it's who you know, but that is the world that we live in. And when I can find companies and people or pieces of IP that are just phenomenal, that just need a little fire under it, that's where I come in and we create an incredible opportunity. We start to put together partnerships. And the most important thing anybody needs in life besides good health and a really good support system is momentum. Companies and people need momentum. It could just be the tiniest little thing. It's just something that sparks the flame a little bit higher. It gives you some self-worth. It makes you feel stronger and gives you a little more confidence. And that's when you start to really hit your stride. And sometimes it takes a day. Sometimes it takes 20 years. But once you figure it out and you have the right people to connect with, it's one hell of a model. And I'm excited that I get to participate in it and hopefully be someone that's leading it correctly forward. Absolutely wonderful. You know, it's just like exactly what I was thinking in the sense of you actually look into all these industries that you got involved in and created businesses, created something. What seems to me is that you find a flaw in that industry and think, what do the people want? You know, how can I really utilize? Like I said, there are a lot of great musicians out there, but the fact of the matter is there's tons of good music. Maybe not a lot of people don't know about it. So how can I really cater to that for both on the consumer and for the musicians? So you're creating something and because you are working on something can improve and that's eventually how you can benefit from it in terms of creating a business and hopefully making income and profit out of it. So just wanted to point that out. I really admire that. A lot of people that I read and follow, and they all mention that money is not the purpose. It comes along the way. Obviously, it is nice and in economies where this is what we need to survive, but that's not the reason why we do it. You want to really make a stamp in the world. And you know that you've created something that people are using, people are buying, people are listening to, and so on and so forth. Yeah, if I can add just this an important part, because this is where a lot of people feel deflated. It's one person at a time. You know, never feel like you're unworthy. Everything I've done is one customer at a time, one partner at a time. You know, if you've built something and you made something and one person bought it or listened to it, that's amazing. You know, you created something from nothing and you got the attention of one person. Just build upon it and feel good about it and feel proud about it. I've sat in rooms where people have been asked, well, how many customers do you have? And they put their shoulders down and they say, well, we have seven customers. And I'm like, that's amazing. God bless you. Look what you've done. You've taken a risk. You've jumped out of the corporate world. You stopped teaching. You created the product and seven people bought it. That's amazing. Now go out and get another seven and then go out and get 14 and then go out and get 28. Like it just multiplies. People need to feel good about it. And it's a shame that we're in a world where people think they have to have a billion dollar deal to feel good about their accomplishments. And that's got to go back to simple wins and feeling self-worth and rewarded on what you've done. Like, Look what you've done. You've created something and got the attention of somebody. That's an amazing moment. Now do it again. And I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I think that's such an important part. Yeah, it really is. I love that you really show the genuine love of entrepreneurship, of creating value. And I think no one can take that from you. No one can come and say, Brian, this is not good enough because you've done it a million times. And to you, it's good enough. The process is good enough. You have a love that can't be extinguished. And I really, truly admire that. I think this is the essence of both entrepreneurship and life. It shows what purpose can look like. It shows how you have your driving force of what you want to see. I always talk how we have 100 years on this earth and it's very, very easy to get caught up in what people think. It's how we grew up in school. It's how you know people always 
try and balance their outside image with their inner self. And I think you said it right, which is what is actually important to you? And are you working on it instead of worrying about the latest pair of shoes or the latest iPhone? And I suppose I want to follow up and say, how do you decide what's most important to you in the moment? And as a follow-up, what can you speak about the balance of these businesses? I guess what I meant to say was not necessarily cookie cutter, but how do you manage it all? Do you automate? Do you get a team and just check in once in a while? What can you say about that? If my name's on it, I'm excited about it, whether it's in concepts phase or it's a seasoned company. So every one of my holdings and hopefully future holdings and partnerships, they're all equally as important to me. And if you're generating a ton of money or not, is irrelevant. My name's on it. They have my full support and access and the job is to make them succeed because there's a lot of people involved in it. There's a lot of dreams involved in it. And in some cases, there's a lot of stakeholders and hopefully a lot of growing employees involved in it. They're all equally as important to me. The process has become very manageable and it's taken me a while to get there. It's key to have a great suite of professional services. So we have exceptional legal, exceptional compliance, great banking partners. We have a private security arm. Having really good professional people ensuring all the processes are done correctly is important. And it can be expensive, but also can be expensive is doing it the wrong way and having to go back and correct things. So a lot of people think, well, I can't afford that. I don't have the money for that. Well, I say, well, you're going to have to figure out a way to do it and do it right from the beginning. If it takes longer, that's the right way to do it. If you're going to try to side cut different options or you're going to try to make it quicker and expedite and, and cut corners, you're going to run into trouble and you're already not doing things correctly. So therefore, I believe you're not going to run your business correctly. So the follow-up to that is great, excited management into all of these holdings. Obviously, the founders, I think founders are extremely important to lead the companies. A lot of founders need to be creatives and they need to be the fuel and the fire behind what their mission was. They do not need to be cut and then asked to go and do a roadshow to raise money and then asked to go and work with accounting. They need to stay focused on their dream and their passion and they need to have the right resources and support around them. So they're not taking their good energy and applying it to aspects of their life that they're either not good at, they don't want to do, and they feel angry towards it, for lack of a better word. They need to stay where their sweet spot is. And that is coming up with the idea or coming up with new ideas to support their initial business model. So it's really important to put people in their right place, just like a sports team. You know, you don't put a great catcher as a pitcher if he's a terrible pitcher. You have to put people in the right positions and you have to support them with right management around them, right resources around them, right supporting staff. And, you know, they just need one degree of whatever they need to get the answer as quickly as possible to keep that momentum going. The minute it gets stifled, the whole house of cards fall apart. And I know this from experience. So it's great when I come into companies that aren't mine because I know what they need because I needed it. But when they are mine, it's my rules because my ass is on the line. But I know what the other people need. So I can work both sides of the table, which I find is very rare when I start to work with these companies. And then I become their cheerleader. I give them all the support they need. However, they need to get beat up. I'm sorry. If I didn't get beat up and thrown to the ground and kicked and spit on, I would not be able to handle anything. So it's important for me to bite my tongue sometimes, let them go through the process, let them see what their decision was wrong and what the outcome was. But it's nice to know that I'm there to make sure it doesn't go too far. But it is crucial that entrepreneurs, founders, you need to get your ass kicked. The earlier, the better. 
and you need to learn how to be able to survive, run a company, pivot, maneuver, and find opportunities. People often ask me, oh my God, how'd you get through 2020? Well, 2020 was a problem and I've been through many problems before and I'm going to be through many problems going forward. The minute you realize there's always going to be a problem and that cannot be a deterrent and you need to use that problem and find a way to find opportunities, get creative, get scrappy. That's the kind of people that I love. That's the kind of people that I love to support. It's very easy to go in the corner and cry and scream, why me? But that is not going to solve any problem. It's going to waste your time. And it's going to make you feel so inadequate to be able to perform or do anything. I can go on for hours on that, but I'm trying to you know, answer your question with my mindset and how I work with people and what the process looks like. Yeah, that's awesome. And I've seen the most successful people are resourceful and perspective is such a huge influence on how a person conducts themselves. So I think a mixture of creativity, practicing that creative energy and learning how to be resourceful. I think not enough people ask for help to learn and grow and get stuck. And you mentioned something very important, which is this could take 20 years. So if you're into this for the long game, it's a lifelong passion. It's not just a side project, because I think, as you know, you've probably started so many side projects will likely die. They won't last. And very, very good point. So would you say you incubate ideas with founders and you know, do you ask for 5, 10, 20% equity or do you create it from scratch and then put in a founder for hire? I'm very curious about that process because it sounds like you've got the entrepreneurial experience, the investing experience. You're a very well-connected person who just loves getting dirty and getting things done. What can you tell us about that aspect when you start something new? I'm not a vulture in that capacity. And if I was, I could have stolen a lot of companies. I'm a very grateful person and I believe everything happens for a reason. So if my paths cross with a founder or co-founders and I think they have something great and I love the way that they work, I love their work ethic, I love their vision, their values, their business ethics. Even if I can make a lot of money and get more equity, more than I would ask for or would accept, that's not how I'm wired. It's case by case. So there's not a template card for what X amount of equity for X amount of dollars or X amount of growth. I actually go in there and I start to become a brain surgeon with it. And I, and I look at their capital table or their capital stack and I start to, to say, okay, well, the founders are nine out of 10 times. They already did it wrong. They already diluted themselves out of their own company. So I have to start going, okay, well, you guys, I don't want to hurt you, but talk to me about these other people. What are they doing? And what are they? providing outside of just cash. I don't like passive investments. I don't like people that just provide cash because that's not helping a business. Unless it's cash for orders, it's cash for growth, it's cash that will help fuel revenues. That's different. Is that you sometimes companies just need that and they and they go out to the market and they just take cash. I like cash that's attached to a business or that's attached to an individual that has entree into the market that you're looking to do business in. Whereas entree into a market that you would like to do more business in, that's the type of investment that I think all founders should look for is people that believe in the product and they can open up doors for you and they can help support the company outside of just cash. So I start to go through it and we kind of have a dating period where I want to make sure we work well together. I want to make sure that we respect each other and that we can grow together. And then I become the voice that maybe they're intimidated of doing. If they have advisors that are on their decks, for example, but they're not doing anything, I reach out to people. I'm like, what the hell are you doing? You took equity from these poor founders and you're not doing anything. That's not acceptable. You got 30 days to do something. Get them a client. 
get them some more capital. You need to do your job. You're hurting these people and shame on you. So I start to really become, I hate to say I restructure, but I just kind of clean house a little bit. I respect the people that were there prior because they served the purpose. They got the company to where it is. So I don't want to hurt anybody. But sometimes people need to be shook a little bit and say, what are you doing? You got your name on this thing and you're not doing anything. You're not supporting these guys or these female founders or these co-founders, whatever the case is. You need to help them. That's your point. That's the part of an advisor. You need to help this company grow. And then after that, we kind of sit down and say, hey, listen, I know I could do X, Y, and Z. It's probably going to take X amount of time to get this thing moving. And I need a fair little bite of compensation so I can properly say I'm part of the company. When I go out to my world, people see that I am an equity holder. I am involved. I'm operating as head of strategy or whatever title we come up with. And then as the company grows, we have an understanding that I grow with it fairly, like every other member of the management team. And we go out to achieve building a sustainable company that's well capitalized and is making money in the market. So that's my model. It's odd to some people, but it works for me. Thankfully, I have, again, platforms like this great show where I get to talk about my model. There's a lot of great wins behind me that give it some credibility. I get to work with some wonderful people. So I don't have to pitch my model. I never solicit me to a company unless I see something I'm blown away by. I'm usually inbound. People solicit me all the time. I say, hey, listen, I'm not soliciting a gig. Here's what I do. It's got to stay consistent across all different companies because it's only fair to the ones that are following my model. I can't change it for other people because that's when it starts to get weird and not ethically correct. And I could do this forever. When I launched over 1,200 brands for the beauty company, that was 24-7 nonstop work. Being one of Amazon's top sellers for many years, you're answering customer service questions within seconds. If you don't, you get cut off their platform. So I'm used to just working under duress. I'm used to working quickly. So I can do this a lot more with a lot more great companies. And it seems to be, I don't want to say it's an infinite model, but there's a hell of a lot more growth and room for new plays. Yeah, it sounds very much like it's an advisor investor capacity. You have the humbleness. I think you want to see people succeed. And I guess there's a give and take a symbiosis of how companies grow and a right time in a right place. So that is really awesome. And I think what you had mentioned about keeping your share as companies grow, that's called pro rata, where someone like an angel investor will keep their one or 2% equity and not get diluted by some big VC who raises a series A and B and actually dilutes people almost to zero. I've heard stories of angels dropping $25,000, checks in a Twitter, in an Uber. And then you have sharp elbowed VCs who say, no, we're buying up this whole round. You don't get to buy in the rest of your equity to keep your ratios. And all of a sudden, where it matters, where a company still does another 100x on top of 100x, where you can really have a good outsized return, you're kind of left hanging. So from what I hear, it can be a bit of a dirty business. I think you've seen it all. So I just want to say hat off to you because there's a clear passion, a clear drive. You know exactly where you want to be. And what kind of advice do you have for someone who is still in that corporate world or that teaching world and wants to try entrepreneurship? They want to, I think what I like about talking to you is that you really appreciate the process and it's not about titles first. It's not about doing something specifically or being in a box, which I think is what entrepreneurship is all about. Just adding value. It's what I always like to keep my eye on. So how do you take someone who isn't in the mindset of doing, of trying and get them there? You have to be realistic 
Someone that has a family, a mortgage, car payments, health insurance, electric bill, the list goes on. You can't say, hey, listen, no risk, no reward. Quit that job and go be an entrepreneur. That's crazy. That's how marriages fall apart. That's how people break, you know, God forbid they commit suicide. You got to be very strict and calculated about it. It's hard. It's hard for people to want to dive into something. People don't even want to dive into a cold pool. Like there's always hesitation. You just have to be smart about it. If you have that fuel that you want to do something, you got to do it because you're only here once and you got to go after your dreams. You can't have any regrets. So that's important that you leave your mark on this world. How you do it so you don't disrupt your life and so you don't cause any more grief or stress or anxiety or mental illness into your life. You got to just be smart about it. If you have a feeling there's a need for a product, you can't start calling manufacturers. I'll make an example. There's a wonderful girl that I know from San Diego, an incredible, hardworking girl. Great family. I just love her drive. She works for a phenomenal company and is a great sales rep. She's had this idea. Two years ago, she told me about this idea for a great product. And at the time, there was nothing in the market for it. I said, that's a home run. Go do that. She just asked me for my advice. I said, you got to do that. That's a great idea. In May, she reached back out to me almost two years later and saying she has the interest of Target. They want what they would want, which would be tens of thousands of units. She's a small middle class. I don't want to say middle class, but she's a normal working person with a great family. And she's like, I have no idea how to do this. And they want guaranteed sales. The model, they're not doing anything wrong. They have a lot of stores. They have a lot of shelves. They have an online store. So they have their formula, just like I have my formula. And I said to her, I said, what are you doing? Let's just hit the brakes here. You don't even have a product in the market yet. So let's just hit the brakes on that play. Let's keep it alive. Let's keep them excited. You need to make a product. She goes, well, every manufacturer I talk to, they want 10,000 minimum units. They want 50,000 minimum units so I could hit my price point. I'm like, okay, forget all that. We spent an hour. We sat down. We singly ordered. I said, we're going to make 100 units. And I gave her a list. I gave her some fuel, a little fire under. I said, in two weeks, I want you to come back to me with 100 units made, just with a small little budget. And when she came back, the products were better than I could have even managed. She packaged these beautiful bags. I don't want to give away too much because it hasn't been announced, but these beautiful bags with the products inside of it, her logo on it, screen. I said, oh my God, this girl did better than I would have done with the two-week time frame. And I could just feel her excitement back. And she went to friends and family and she sold them through. And she's actually profitable with 100 units. She's in business. She has her trademark. She has a great brand to go and show people. She's in the market. She's got her business insurance. Now she's in business and she's also still doing her other job. So it's the point of my story that I'm going on. You can do it very low budget, very low risk. You can start to test your idea with your little community of friends and family, and you can get some confidence. And you can actually say, listen, I made something for the market. These people I showed it to think it's great. They bought it. I'm actually even or a little bit ahead or a little bit off of my cost. And you build upon it. I go back to momentum, a broken record. Now, Okay, go and make 200 units, then go make 400 units, then go make 800 units. And at some point, you go back to that manufacturer that was just taking full advantage of you with capital, with customers, and with the need for the minimum quantities that they're demanding. And then you can make a decision, do I continue to work my normal job or do I give this all of my focus because it's making money? I took away all the risk and I'm happy. So to me, it's a strategy. It's careful maneuvering. If you make a mistake, acknowledge it quickly, own it, and don't do that again and figure out the model that works for you. But there's a way to do both. I know it's not easy if you've got a family and responsibilities and a full-time job, 
But if you're not happy in your job and you think you can do something better, there's a way to co-mingle both until you come to a point where you can make a safe decision. Yeah, I love the transitional aspect of it. And I had this conversation with a couple of friends myself, and they seem to think the same way that, oh, you have to leave what you do and go all in because if you're not on the line, you won't feel the pressure, you won't feel the urge to push further. And I beg to differ because if you really want to do something, you go after it, regardless whether you have a job or not. And the fact that you actually, for example, have a full-time job would perhaps give you the time so you can perfect what you're trying to do. That's my personal opinion, of course, but with regards to the story, which is fantastic, I'm actually quite excited for her. Absolutely. And I'm going to add to your point that you just made. It's not a right thing to ever make decisions when you're emotional because they don't go right. So if you're going to, like you said, abruptly leave a job and then go into creating something, there is some formula where that the need is going to drive you to be successful because you have to. So there's something to being motivated because you have bills or that nothing else, you've got to make this work. There's a little bit of that that I think is an element to some people's success. But what does it do to your body and your mind and your soul and the people around you during that process? And again, if you're just motivated by things and money, then you're fine because you don't care about your health or your well-being or the people that you affected. And that's your journey. That's your path. But if you are someone that was a kind, gentle, good person, and you made this decision abruptly to just go all in, no risk and reward, and then you start to change and people start to not like you and you become angry and bitter, but then you also make it, what did you give up? Did you really make it? Was all of that really worth it? People just have to think, myself included, what is the outcome of my actions? I need to sit and make calm, peaceful decisions that are not decided quickly upon emotion or reaction. It's not easy. I'm not saying it's easy in today's world. Everybody's living in fear lately. But if you can take a moment and a step back and detach yourself from your world and think about where do I go tomorrow? What's the right decision for me tomorrow? But you do it in a calm environment. That's when you start to make rational decisions. And that's when you start to really create, I think, not only a successful future professionally, but a really good successful future for your well-being and personal health. What a great point. And I wanted to dive into that a little bit. So if you're at this turning point of heightened emotion and a lot going on, how do you kind of sit back and unwind? And especially with all these moving parts, do you meditate? Do you go for a long walk? Is there anything specific you do that helps you kind of get that clarity? I'm not a meditator. I don't think I could ever do that. My brain does not stop. And I don't think I want it to stop. I like the way that it's always firing. I do find I walk 20,000 steps a day on an average day. I, I love to take my calls walking around. I love to be in motion. I think that's why I love momentum so much. So the really only thing I do, but it's tied into my work, is walking around and conducting business when I'm not in a meeting environment. And my biggest personal flaw, I realized this a long time ago, is taking a break or having some me time. Because the minute I stop, I look at the market and I'm like, I need to make a new product. There's nothing for it. So then I add to my plate because I start to create something because I took a moment to just be at peace. And that's when I start thinking of new things. So to me, I try to kind of avoid that. I have a great system right now. It is all work related. You know, I'm not the guy you go and talk to for what is a great work, personal life balance. I hope to achieve that, something I'm still working on. But whenever anybody asks me how I do it, I don't lie. I say I don't do it. I'm a worker. My work is my passion. My work is my love. I feel like that's why I've been put here. And I love the fact that I think I've also been put here to help people achieve their dreams. I'm a conduit and a resource for people to 
rise. It sounds a little obnoxious maybe, but I like that role. I like being that person. I don't need the accolades. I don't need a medal for it. I like being behind the scenes and being a part of that journey. And one of the things I put my ass on the line on, yes, my name is out there and I talk about it. But when there are other people's visions and dreams and businesses, I like being a turnkey solution for them, whatever the need. And I find great reward holding that role. That's awesome. You had said something about not soliciting. So who is the person who should seek you out? Especially you had mentioned things like cold calling. Let's say someone listens to this and says, Brian would be a great guy to talk to. Where do they jump in in their journey? Is there a minimum requirement of either personal connection or maybe some traction as it's called in business? Who is the ideal person to find you, seek out your advice, your assistance, and maybe see where it goes? Anybody can reach out to me. Caveat, present day, I don't do any business in tobacco, firearms, the adult entertainment industries, the great industries. God bless everybody in those spaces. I don't participate in those present day. Outside of that, I make myself available for really anybody. I only use LinkedIn and Twitter for social media purposes. So anybody can connect with me there, Brian J. Esposito. Then the corporate website is eie.rocks, so eie.rocks. It goes through some of the stories, solutions, services, as well as a lot of these podcasts and interviews that I get to do and the portfolio of holdings that I can share publicly. And I give anybody my time within reason that reaches out to me because they've given me some of theirs. And they have to understand that I need to be valued for my time. You know, During that car accident, I made a strict rule that I have value. And for a very long time, I did not value myself correctly or at all. And I diminished my value in a lot of cases. So that can and will never happen again. So they have to understand that there's some value that has to be attached to my time, resources, and work in whatever we're doing. It can be at the concept stage, even up to a very well-seasoned company that's beginning to fail. I love companies that have problems. I love companies that are in turmoil within reason because I can come in and usually fix them and be a solution and then get everybody back in line and moving forward or find new purposes for the IP or products or solutions that they've created because I have such a vast reach in all these different industries. Again, it's who you know. They may be sitting with a piece of technology or some kind of product that they were only focused in one market but I can open up a brand new market for them with a phone call or with some glorified matchmaking and revive that company. So anybody can reach out to me outside of those two industries. I'll respond to you. I won't ignore you. Then we start to have a conversation and see where it goes. I'm very accessible and I try to be respectful to everybody that wants to work with me. I can't work with everybody. It's not feasible, but I can definitely continue to do my model with a lot more companies. That's awesome. And would you ever say there's a time where a business should give up you're the ultimate fixer in creative energy. You talked about pivoting. Do you ever tell a company, you had mentioned failing companies, what's that line where someone should maybe not give up on being entrepreneurial, but just either change their whole business or really rethink what they're doing? The only time I would suggest someone give up is if it's eating away at them and they hate it. If they can't find someone like me to revive them and put that fire, fuel, and excitement back into them and they're completely broken. Or if the current model is unfixable, if they diluted themselves down to a percent of their own company, but they have this ridiculous contract that they got to stay on and continue to run it. Those type of people need to find another path to revive themselves. And they typically need a mentor or a really strong inner circle support system that gives them the 
confidence that they need to get back on the path that they were once on. Because all founders and entrepreneurs, they go into it with the right reasons, I believe. And then they get connected with the wrong money or the wrong legal or the wrong group of advisors. And it goes off path. I don't think anything's ever a failure. As long as you're learning, I do believe in overnight successes. If the next day you wake up a little bit wiser, smarter, and stronger, you are an overnight success. And you can continue to repeat that. If you put in quotes, if you failed in a previous initiative project or company, you didn't fail because you got to take what you learned during that process. You got to take all the missteps that you did. Remember all the right moves that you did and apply that into what you're going to do next because you did it once. It might have been just been the one wrong person that you invited into your world that screwed everything up, but it's not that person's fault. The minute that you come to terms and you blame yourself, that's when you grow and that's when you can go out back into the world and succeed. Anytime something's done wrong to you or your company, you have to take ownership in it. However, when the company's succeeding, you have to praise and thank everybody involved because that's what made it work. When it goes bad, the leader, the CEO, or the founder has to take ownership. It was my mistake in bringing the wrong person in. It's nobody else's fault. And when you can do that as a person, there's nothing that you cannot accomplish. Powerful stuff right there. It's just absolutely fantastic. I'm getting goosebumps, to be honest with you, Brian. No, genuinely, I wouldn't say that. Just absolutely wonderful. And I wanted to ask you this earlier, but I'm just curious from your personal point of view, what sector do you see with the most promising growth potential? I know you're involved in a lot of industries and I'm sure there's growth and opportunity in each and every one of them, but what do you personally see has the most growth potential as of now? I'll go back. It all depends on your lifestyle because even the smallest of sectors, if you're a company operating in that space and you can make a nice life for yourself and be profitable and and grow, then you're in good shape. But in the grand scheme of things, the music industry is on fire. We're doing some great things there with a company called Surround, which the goal there is to be the operating system for the entire music industry where all these IP holders go into one system and then back out into all the streaming services and platforms. So the rights holders can get real accurate, real-time data on where the music's being played, who's listening to it, and what's going on in the environment around it. Something desperately needed for the music industry so these rights holders can be earning the correct amount of money that they should be earning. Obviously, crypto and blockchain is on fire. One of our holdings called TurnCoin in the exchange is going public on Friday. And it's giving the ability for people to buy a virtual share of someone. So they're known as virtual stacks. And it's going to be a phenomenal liquidity event for all celebrities, athletes, and entertainers to actually put up virtual shares of themselves in a market where friends, family, and fans can buy those shares. But more importantly, like I spoke about with the music industry before with all the starving artists around the world, this will be a tremendous tool for people to put themselves up in a virtual environment and their friends and families and peers and colleagues can invest into them or buy a virtual share into them to help fuel their career. So think of a a public stock market and a GoFundMe tied into one package that's regulated by great legal, great accounting, great banking. Uh, It took five years of development, but going out strong and it's being done the correct way. We're not cutting any corners. Then I see IoT on fire, one of our other holdings called Nodal. I'm honored to work with that team as uh, head of global partnerships. It's become the world's largest wireless network, connecting millions of phones and IoT devices around the world. And it's given everybody the ability with a smartphone to download the Nodal Cash app and actually earn Nodal Cash cryptocurrency, which is intended on having some exceptional value to 
again, change the lives of people. What can we do in people's lives that they're doing normally to help enhance it, help them earn some extra revenue, help them be able to monetize their life and their routine. So those are the things I'm really excited about. Again, there's over 75 holdings now and the list goes on. But my job is to drop anything into this ecosystem and create value. So all these companies work well together. I think esports is going to be a phenomenal industry. We have some great holdings and partnerships there. It's all about creating value and creating win-win opportunities for all the parties involved. And hopefully after our discussion, I get to be introduced to some great people listening to your podcast that want to join the family. That's amazing. I love how ambitious you are and you've got a grasp on all the innovation and what you just said about having shares in people, I think is the fundamental of any business. And I think you're equalizing the playing field. So you're going to see a lot more new creators, new people trying things. And I think the net benefit to society is everyone doing what they love in an ideal world that number of value add in the world is going to go up and the equation of happiness and all this kind of stuff. Just as we wrap up here, I wanted to ask a follow-up. So how would you measure value? How would you say this is value creation? Can you distill it in a certain way so someone can think of a, not a process, but an actual way to think about, am I doing things right? I look at value, it's case by case, so I don't want to be pigeonholed in my answer here, but the most important thing is I always say time is our most precious commodity. So right out the bat, whatever you're spending time on has immense value. And you need to make sure that you're utilizing that time correctly and with the best net benefit, as you would say. As it relates to a company, there's the obvious answers such as creating revenues, profitable earnings. But more importantly, I love momentum. So a value moment for me, for example, if we were to take one of our holdings and pair it with another company that created a moment in time where it built awareness, it gave some more credibility, it supported the story, it opened up a new market. Even though that moment may not have put anything on the balance sheet as far as earnings or assets, but it allowed another moment to piggyback it. Like that's the value leap that I look for. Okay, we just did this great announcement. We put these two, three, four, five, however many companies together in an initiative. Now we got to make sure we capitalize on it. What is the follow-up on that that does generate a return of some resources? You know, if it's cash, if it's new partnerships that get announced on top of it, if it's new opportunities, that's the value creation. But it all ties back into your time. You got to value your time and you got to love what you're doing. You got to appreciate what you're doing and have pride in what you're doing. And if you don't, I really hope you find a strategy to get off that hamster wheel, start to strategize and test the waters in going after your passion, creating a new product or company and having control over your own world and destiny and feeling good about what you're contributing to society and find a nice way to live a good, peaceful life. You don't need a million things to be happy. If you're looking at things to be happy, don't need me to tell you. There's plenty of history that can tell you you're never going to be happy. Right now, if you're not thrilled with what you have, the environment that you're living in and in your home and your car, a new car or a new home isn't going to change that. You got to internalize and figure out what is really not making me happy and what do I got to do to have some passion and love and self-worth in my life. And once you figure that out, it doesn't matter what kind of watch you have. All that stuff is just noise. You know, feel good about yourself, love the small wins and continue to hit those base hits because they have real value and they're going to make you feel great and you just keep building upon it. Amazing, Brian. Thanks so much for spending your time here. As you said, it's so valuable and you've just shared a wealth of information and inspiration, really, I think for myself, Cal, and everyone listening. So 
Thank you once again. Is there anything you want to plug in terms of announced projects or Twitter handles or LinkedIn? Where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter and LinkedIn, Brian J. Esposito. Again, the corporate website's eie.rocks, so eie.rocks. I love to get back to anybody that reaches out to me. I tend to do so quite quickly. And don't be afraid to ask for help, whether it's from me or anybody. I think when you are vulnerable and you tell people you need help, I think that's the strongest thing you can do. And that can open up a tremendous amount of opportunities and doors for you. Awesome. So with that said, let's wrap up today's episode. Thank you for listening to another episode of Methodical Millions, where you can better your future and better yourself. Thanks, everyone.